You're listening to the greatest multifamily investment advice show. My name is Adam Ross, and now I'm talking everything multifamily for an in-depth conversation, and I will be diving deep into raising capital, deals, and underwriting process. Welcome back to the greatest multifamily advice show. Today we have Mark Platzer, an exceptional guest and real estate investor out of Toronto region of Ontario, focused on multifamily, raising capital and land development and all sorts of fun. How are you, Mark? Good, good, Adam. Thanks for uh, thanks for having me on. Um, yeah, excited to, to chat about it, especially kind of you know your interest in you know why why people are leaving Ontario, and I'm still here. Yeah, <laughs> thanks all so much for being today, and uh, I appreciate you taking the time. Yeah, of course, of course. I love love chatting about this kind of type of stuff, um, and. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think there's more and more interest in commercial. Well, I don't know in general if there's more and more interest. I mean, I think what happens is, um, you know, as people as people invest in residential types of projects, you know, they eventually either reach a plateau or they're you know leveling up. You know, it's kind of time to kind of grow themselves as a as an investor, and so you see more people kind of moving into into commercial. Um, and they do it for different reasons. So yeah, I love love chatting about it. Um, the beauty about commercial real estate or just real estate in general is that there's there's an approach for everybody, right? So uh, it's super flexible. Uh, there's so many different types of strategies, you know, multifamily, uh, uh, retail, office, industrial, self storage. Like you know, there's there's so many paths to go. So so. Uh, from the beginning, I think you were uh, in the marketing side and you switched to real estate. What was the, what was the motivation? Like what happened was an actual trigger point for you? Yeah, I love that. So um, yeah, I was, I was a partner in a brand uh, research consulting firm, uh, which was really cool. I mean, it was you know for 15 years. Uh, I, well, I worked in that type of industry for almost 20 years and then 15 years as part of this uh, boutique uh, research firm. Mm-hmm. And we did some really cool projects some aut- like really cool companies in North America and around the world. I got to travel, which was, which was fun. And uh, it was, I loved it. Like I loved doing that. Um, it, uh, you know, being part of a, a consulting firm, it's very human resource heavy. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and as a partner, you know, that required a lot of my time, especially dealing with, with some of these larger clients and, uh, and travel. And so, you know, while that business was growing, you know, my family was, was starting young, you know, young kids. Hmm. And I was just finding more and more that I was, you know, missing the, you know, those important moments, you know, as, Hmm. as, you know, our kids were, were growing up and, you know, getting questions from my kids, uh, consistent questions about, Hey dad, you're going to be home for dinner tonight. And, and consistently it was no, not tonight, not tonight. And that kind of, that took a toll uh, on me because uh, I felt like I was missing out a lot. So, um, and again, this didn't happen overnight. Um, I looked at, you know, what are, what are other options to generate income, but also grow wealth hmm. beyond this type of business. And, and, you know, people are successful in, in the consulting business and scaling it and, and not spending as much time. Hmm. Um, I, I just didn't, I didn't do that. And, uh, and so real estate was always on the list for my wife and I to figure out uh, rental properties. You know, uh, my family had a, had a, had a couple, my parents had, you know, a duplex, you know, my, my grandparents rented their house in Toronto. So it was always kind of 
it wasn't front and center, but it was, you know, there was kind of inklings of this idea that, that, you know, eventually percolated. So, um, I started while I was at this other, uh, while I was at, you know, had the uh, consulting firm started with, you know, a couple flips a year, I think one flip a year, then two, then three, and then, you know, end up doing close to 30, um, you know, not on my own. I had partners, I had, you know, trades people that were kind of doing that. So it was, it was taking up a, a little bit more time and, and I liked where it was going. It provided a lot of flexibility. So in, um, that was 2000, let's say 15, 14, 15, where I did my first uh, investment deal. Yeah, it was a flip, mm. held a few properties. And then, um, and then, you know, I'd say probably 2016 started studying and trying to understand commercial and, and multifamily specifically. Uh, and then, you know, made the, you know, I wouldn't say made this the switch completely, uh, but transitioned into commercial in 2017 yeah but your approach is you said you, you took some time for studying uh, back to 2016 toronto was still up i'm not gonna say affordable but it was not like right, right now so what was the uh, motivation for toronto especially because you started multifamily in toronto when is everyone is looking for better cash flow cash on cash yeah. Uh, retainer of investment. So why Toronto? Yeah. So, okay. So, so just to be clear, uh, so I don't have anything in Toronto proper. Yeah. Uh, I'm in the GTA. So I have, you know, uh, properties in Hamilton, Barrie, Kitchener. Okay. Uh, our most recent uh, deal that we have under contract is in Mississauga. Yes. Um, so yeah. not in Toronto proper, although uh, GTA. we recently did look at it. Yeah. So GTA, uh, yeah. GTA and surrounding, but you're yeah. right. Um, a lot of people are moving out. I would say a lot of people, there are people moving out hmm. uh, into other provinces. And I think you mentioned the reason why cash on cash return. Yeah. Um, so for those, and so I didn't really need cash on cash return. You know, I had, I still had, you know, I had an income, you know, from, from my other business. Um, and so I didn't need cash on cash. Um, my strategy uh, and the reason why, what real estate needed to do for me, and I think that's a question that everyone needs to ask themselves, and uh, it is, what does real estate need to do for you? Hmm. And everyone's going to have a different, diff uh, a different answer. For some people, it needs to be cash today. For some people, um, it needs to be wealth building, right? Uh, and for some, it needs to be both. Right. So for me, it was more about wealth building versus income generation today. Hmm. Um, and because of that, you know, the GTA market uh, or GTA and surrounding areas, uh, the, the, the Ontario market, let's say Southern Ontario market yeah. um, provides a, a wealth building platform. Um, you know, some properties cash flow, I do have buildings that do cash flow. Yeah. Right? So cash flow, it's not that it's non-existent. Yeah, it might be harder to do, but the ROIs are just as good, if not better actually. So if you, if you are in the equity building game and in the wealth building game, then this market is still very good for you. Um, if you're looking to, because you're uh, focusing on the appreciation on the actual general idea, it's yes. more appreciated than any other market. Yeah. I mean, you're, you're, you're at this, you know, let's say in Canada, the cent, you know, the biggest markets in Canada, right. And, and, you know, if you go back to what are the drivers of this business, like what makes a rental business successful, 
it's people and population. So where there's population growth, where there's business uh, um, investment, where there's transit, where there's GDP growth, where there's immigration, that's where you want to be. Um, and so that that those are the markets that I'm in. Um, now, if you want cash flow, um, like more cash flow, then yeah, you might have to go to other markets, hmm. maybe smaller markets. Hmm. Your cap rates are higher, but 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 again, remember, higher cap rates means you know slightly higher risk, right? So um, yes, it's cash flowing, but is the do you mean stable? occupancy? You mean occupancy rate? The occupancy rate of this market is going to be lower than than Ontario, of course. It could, yeah, it could be. It could yeah, be. Yeah, um, yeah. Uh, now, j just also to be clear, you know, we're buying properties that are not not cash flowing because we're purposely buying properties that are under uh, underperforming. Yeah. They end up cash flowing once we turn it once we stabilize it, right? So this was basically my next question: What is your yeah. target market and criteria? Uh, so the target market, so basically, again, in these areas, like, uh, you know, I get sent deals that in smaller markets, um, if it doesn't have 100,000 people or more, then it's, it's not really of interest to me. Uh, because to me, where there's people that provides a protective layer around your investment, because those are your customers, right? Yeah. So, so like any business, if you know, you're starting a business, you want to be in a location or market to a target market where there's a lot of people versus fewer people. Um, so that's the criteria is um, markets of 100,000 plus uh, good transit, good business uh, environment. The municipalities attracting businesses, they have a good plan for growth, uh, immigrant immigrants uh, go to that market. Mm. And so again, it's, it's, if you think of commercial real estate or multifamily as a, as a, you know, as a business, where are customers coming and where are they going, going to come in the future? Hmm. You want to be there. It's like Walmart, you know, Walmart, when they were developing early, in the early days, what they would do is they would, and they still do this to some degree is they would uh, buy locations ahead of urban sprawl. And so, you know, they would plant their locations knowing that within a year or two or maybe three they'd be surrounded by households hmm. right population and so um ours is maybe not exactly as the walmart strategy we're we're buying in uh markets that already have population um and uh, and, and will continue to grow um so so typically just in terms of the cash flow piece typically after 18 months once we've stabilized the building it cash flows so it does end up cash flowing so then you have cash flow and strong equity appreciation. Mm -hmm. um, it just takes, you know, it takes some time to get there. So when you're selecting a, a deal for your underwriting process, let's say you're uh, checking the proposed next five years of performance, what is cap on cap percent, percentage usually you go? And you, you mentioned that you're focusing on having this transition from low cap rate, adding value, and then uh, change the cap rate for a higher cap rate. So what is your magic number when you're saying, okay, this is my minimum cash on cash percentage or uh, cap rate for a property you're doing underwriting for? Because, you know, there's, there's a lot of deals on the markets on different markets, but not all of the deal is going to make you, uh, as you said, uh, uh, touching your target, basically. 
Yeah. So what, so very good question. So one of the things, cause again, um, for, for myself, um, as well as, you know, so I have, you know, buildings that myself and my business partner own on our own, uh, as well as we have apartment buildings where we bring in uh, passive accredited investors. Um, typically the, uh, or I'd say, you know, 99% of the accredited investors that work with us, they have other businesses, they have high paying jobs. They're not really looking for cash flow today. That's not really their game. Yeah. Um, you know, they're not really, you know, pulling line of credit to invest in these, these types of projects. They, they have, they have capital that they need to deploy. Just uh, to, to uh, sorry to interrupt, just for the listeners about the credit investors in Canada and US, credit investor equal to uh, per household, 340,000 income per year for individual 200,000 or to have more than $1 million equity uh, cash uh, equity on uh, on the individual uh, assets. So uh, sorry to interrupt, but just yep. uh, to uh, differentiate between the terms of credited investor, because it's not familiar to yeah. uh, regular uh, newbies. Yeah, yeah, no, that's a good, that's a good, um, good point. Uh, the other thing is to a net worth of, or a net worth of $5 million, yeah. right? So assets minus liabilities. Yeah. Um, so, and I, so I'm going to, I'm going to answer your question about what, what our target is afterwards. So uh, knowing that a lot of our projects are really for equity building, um, the cash flow target is, um, you know, anywhere from four to 6% cash on cash once it's, once it's turned over. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, and so, when you look at that, you know that that's a that's a pretty pretty healthy cash uh, flow in in this market. The other thing that we look at um, as we're underwriting is typically we put long term uh, CMHC insured debt on these projects. Hmm. So we need to make sure that at the end of our stabilization process, so you know the time it takes to you know from acquisition to turning the business around essentially and generating more income that it needs to debt service with CMHC. So um, before, let's say before March, 2022, uh, the, we, we had to refinance and ensure that the income was high enough to support a 1.3 debt coverage ratio, right? Mm -hmm. So meaning that your income has to be larger than your debt service. So your net income has to be uh, net operating income has to be larger than your debt servicing by 1.3 times. Yeah. Um, uh, now with, so interest rates are going up, right? That's, that, that's, you know, they, they've gone up. And so it's now a challenge. it is a challenge. Yeah. Uh, it is a challenge. And so wherever there's a challenge, you got to find a solution. So the solution that we have right now, and you know, I mean, the timing of this from CMHC was, you know, pretty good is that they've launched a new program called the MLI select program, which, which basically rewards operators in terms of more favorable financing um, if they if they you know do certain things right so improve energy efficiency uh, improve the accessibility of the unit uh, as well as uh, potentially provide affordable housing so you can do any one of those things and you get points and such and just, you know that's a whole discussion but basically what if you hit their targets you can now get finance at a 1.1 a debt coverage ratio. Right. Well, so that helps. Yeah. So that helps with cash flow even more. Yeah. Um, but now with interest rates going up and with this lower debt coverage ratio, it almost offsets itself. Right. So again, back to your question, what is our target? Um, our target is to ensure that we can, that we can uh, refinance with CMHC 
uh, mm. and, and hit their debt coverage ratios. To be honest, this is an actual interesting subject because I see that the, all of the current market is like going to private lending, but you're doing something different, which is really hard to qualify for CHMC uh, like policy, basically. So is this because your targeted market where is, is there actual stability and uh, you can easily hit the target of high rent so you can potentially meet, meet with, uh, with CHMC uh, rules? Because I, I never hear this, it's like this easy to meet with the, the rules, especially that, yeah, this is for me a new, uh, a new information about the 1.1. I didn't know about it. Uh, about the uh, energy efficient, but um, I think this is helping you because potentially you're getting the actual loan with a little bit less interest. So potentially it's going to help you on the overall cash flowing on this specific market, whereas everything is, is going to be hard for you to qualify. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, so how do I put it? So, Anyone can qualify for CMHC. Um, okay. uh, you know, if you want to put more money down, right? If you want to put more money down on a property, like CMHC is just insuring the mortgage, right? So yeah. you can um, now versus private, to your point, versus like private financing, um, their loan to value is going to be a little bit less, right? So you typically do have to come up with more money. Uh, in order to purchase, you know, through CMHC, their underwriting is a little more conservative. So there's a whole bunch of things like that. Yeah. But um, yeah, no, that our, our goal is to get the income. And we've done this now a few times uh, is to get the income levels high enough or the net operating income levels high enough that we can um, refinance with CMHC, qualify for a good debt coverage, you know, their debt coverage ratio criteria take out all of the, the, the debt that was used to purchase it, um, you know, sometimes be able to pay some of our investors back some capital and then basically run a cash flowing asset, hmm. you know, for, you know, at least five years or more, depending on the project. I think the challenge here is based on what you're saying is raising capital, because as you said, you need more loan to value yeah. to, to get qualified. Because you're not leveraging uh, as much as you can because the rules of the CHMC versus high interest rate with hard money and uh, higher LTV, correct? Yeah. So the benefits, it's a trade-off, right? And this, yeah. you know, this conversation I literally have pretty much every day. Um, you know, my, my business partner and I, when we're looking at deals, it's always about fi like financing makes or break a deal. Um, you know, what, what strategy... What financing strategy are we going to apply? You know, think about, think about, yeah, you know, as an, as an investor, you have to have like, quote unquote, a financing toolbox, hmm. right? And there's a bunch, there's a bunch of different strategies, right? And, you know, there's CMHC, there's private, there's using seconds, there's, there's raising equity, there's construction financing. So there's a whole bunch of different ways to do things. And, you know, for investors getting into the space or even the seasoned investors know this, you have to have some knowledge of all of the available ways to finance things. Um, 
you know, if you don't have it, that's okay. You, you know, you can work with a broker that, that has that experience, right? So, so step one is understanding what the financing toolbox looks like. And then on each deal, it's looking at what is the right combination of financing strategies, because sometimes it's multiple strategies in one deal. What's the combination of financing strategies that's going to make this deal work? Going back to your point about private, yeah, you, you can buy buildings with private financing, very high loan to value. Uh, so meaning high leverage, right? 85, 90% leverage, mm. but you're paying for it, right? 100%. So the interest rate's higher. I mean, it's it's definitely something that you don't want to hold for a long time. Like we've we've done that in our stabilization period, but it's a very short amount of time, 12 months, 18 months, mm. right? And there's there's a there's a a clear exit strategy for that, you know, that private debt. But you know you, you don't want to hold it for very long, right? Because it's cost it, it costs a lot. a lot, yeah. And and also it's interest only, so there's no principal paydown on this either. So you're not benefiting from principal paydown; you're just paying interest. Hundred percent. So yeah. how much was uh, this like percentage wise for your private lending? I think you used it on the on the beginning when you needed uh, a little bit higher at LTV because the raising capital on the beginning for everyone is not easy. Yeah, it ranges, right? So I think you know, in when when I first started, it was um, six above six, six and a half, right? As you start to work with lenders and they get to know you, they get to you know know your strategy. Um, they're comfortable with you. They've done multiple deals. That starts coming down. Also, as the loan amounts go up, the rates come down, right? So um, you know, we're at probably five five point two right now. Um, you know, four point eight we were quoted. The other day for one of our one of our buildings, which we're, we're still trying to kind of work on the financing strategy there. So you're looking at anywhere, I would say to be safe, look at five and a half to six and a half. You know, if you can do your underwriting on those numbers and it works, then you should be able to get, you know, capital at that cost. Um, so, yeah, I mean, uh, that that's what I would do. That's what I would budget. But I mean, what, what was uh, CH, CHMC right now uh, interest rate for you? I, of course, it's going to be lower. Yeah, yeah. CMHC. Okay, so CMHC right now uh, on one of the buildings that we're looking at right now, uh, they are at about uh, they're they're under four, so it's under four. Again, interest rates have gone up now. Like I'm not 100%. sure when this is going to be released, but you know we've already had a few uh, increases and another one coming, uh, probably June first, right? So they're at three nine, uh, man, three three and three quarters or so. So almost two two percent different between the private money and CHMC, but it's going to help you a lot on on the cash flow and yes. uh, all of your uh, yeah. um, expectations. So and how many units under management so far? Uh, I would say I don't know the exact probably one hundred and twenty. That's good. That's good. Yeah, maybe maybe a little bit more. I mean, there's one hundred and twenty, and then we're we're in develop like adding units. We're adding about one. Uh, I don't know about 10, 10, 12 units. So I, yeah, it's, it's like 120 and then we'll have hopefully 132 with these other units. And then uh, um, we have a, a few other buildings under contract, another building under contract. Which is, so by the end of the year, it'll be like 150, I would say, um, you know, close to 50 million under management. So what was the transition? How you started to grow? I think you said you did a little bit like a 30 flip and then the regular transition to multifamily, 20 units, 30 units, and then, so how was, how was the journey, like timeline? Um, timeline, I think, so 
2017 was my first buildings. Um, 2017. So yeah, I mean, it's been five. No, sorry, sorry, that was 2018. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's uh, I guess four years hmm. or so to get there. Uh, I mean, the first year was just you know two you know, two buildings. And then that I, I can't remember, maybe the year after was like nothing. Mm. Right. Um, and then, and then we really ramped up um, because it became a focus, it became more of a focus. So early yeah. on, it was just, you know, let's put, you know, uh, a building in the portfolio and kind of just run it. Um, still doing flips. Um, I was still at that time, still had my other business. And so it wasn't a hundred percent of my focus. And then uh, I guess, late 2019 um then it became a hundred percent of you know so this is what i do full time uh hundred percent of focus and then and, and you know like anything like where your where your focus goes your energy flows and it's you know absolutely true um that's been a focus and you know, we've been able to scale uh the portfolio to um you know we're already over 40 million but we'll be you know i think we'll be 50 million by the end of the year great so what was uh, uh, your criteria to manage raising capital? Because as you said, you started in 2019 and 18 on multifamily. I think the first uh, issue was how we can start with raising money, uh, uh, get qualified, because the qualified investor is another, another story. So you started to, usually you start with family and friend and then the next step is looking for qualified investors. So can you tell me how you started to do this? Like how you managed to have your system and what is your system exactly? So I think, uh, yeah, I mean, okay. So go back to when I, my first few deals were, were funded, you know, on my own. Uh, and then I think what, you know, and, and the intent was really never to raise capital. Uh, but I think like everybody uh, or many in this business that are doing this running real estate as a business, eventually you keep growing and you run out of your own money. Um, and, uh, and you, but you still want to keep growing, uh, probably at the same time, others around you are noticing what's happening. And so for me, the way it worked is I funded my own deals. Uh, I don't know, maybe for the first year mm. uh, at the same time, you know, people, family and friends were asking questions. Hey, how, you know, what are you doing? How do you do that? Is there a way for me to get involved? And it's like, oh yeah, sure. I mean, here, uh, I don't, I'm not sure how, but let me think about it. Right. So because capital raising wasn't really front and center for me in the beginning, nor that I think that that's where it was going to end up. It did, I didn't really have a system. So um, it, it was very ad hoc, right. Um, you know, JV partnerships started, right. I was a part of the real estate investment network early on rain, um, actually right from even before I did my first deal, I was part of rain. So they taught, you know, joint venture partnerships and such. So I had some idea of how it can work. Hmm. Then after my, and this was a flip deal, doing a flip deal with other people's money or partnering with other people, it kind of, you know, the light bulb went off. I was like, wow, this, you know, I, I can really do this, uh, you know, run a business, uh, you know, and help other people generate money in real estate while not having to be involved in the projects as I was. And I think the mindset, the big, and this, this again came to fruition uh, even a week ago, I had lunch with uh, an investor of mine that's been with me for probably the longest 
um, of all my investors, and it's now you know multiple millions of dollars um, with us today, and just over the course of years, you know uh, many millions of dollars invested. And he, he, you know, he's like, you know, Mark, I'm so glad that I met you because you're helping me. I know I'm helping you, but you're really helping me, um, you know, make my capital work. So I think the big thing for capital raisers is that, and especially in the beginning, is that you're, you have something to offer. You're doing a service for people. You're giving them an opportunity to make more money than they would in, you know, other forms of investments. And so I think that light bulb went off, I think, early on for me that, hey, I, you know, I don't need people's money, right? I'm giving people an opportunity to generate more capital. And I think that's a, that's a big mindset shift and an important mindset shift that people need to make. Uh, because I think in the beginning, uh, you know, early, you know, new capital raisers may think like, oh, I don't feel, I don't want to feel needy. I, I don't want to ask for money, right? That that's, that's, that's the wrong mindset. The, the mindset needs to be that you have something to offer people and people you're doing people a favor by investing with you, which is true, right? Like, yeah. or else, what else would they be doing with their money? Is um, it like, not on the same level to understand all of the actual industry and you're offering them this so they can grow their money with higher yeah. interest than banks, for example, yeah, or other 100%. investments? So, uh, so that's kind of how capital raising started. And now, I mean, uh, my background is marketing, so I understand, you know, the concepts of marketing. So I put myself out there a little bit more on social media, um, you know, have, have, you know, have had consistent marketing for a number of years and, uh, you know, people see, people see what, what I'm doing and what the business is doing. I have a podcast, right. Just, you know, just like you do, the podcast has been instrumental in that, you know, in speaking to people I've never spoken to before. They already know what, how I operate, how I think, what my strategy is. So it does, you know, those platforms like our webinars, um, you know, we have a pretty good, you know, webinar program. Uh, we do some coaching, we have podcasts. So, you know, there's a lot of education that we put out into you know, the universe. And it's basically about the stuff that we do, like our, our process, our operation. So when, when, when investors uh, come talk to us, they kind of already know what we're doing, right? So that we're not, we're not selling people on, you know, investing with us, they already know what we're doing. Um, and they, you know, uh, they've been following us for a few years already, perhaps, you know, and they know, they know how we operate. So, that's, I think that's the power of, you know, you know, pull, pull marketing, right. Versus push marketing where you're kind of pushing something onto somebody, you know, we put our stuff out there and, you know, those that like it and can resonate with who we are as people and how we operate and just our value system, you know, come to us and, and those that we don't resonate with don't. So, you know, that that's uh, at the end of the day, it's a, a pretty kind of straightforward word concept, but that's kind of that's what we're you know that's our marketing system. So I I think this is uh, yeah this is uh, the great approach of to be always there. Do not push yourself. People see what you do, the result, the record, and based on this you can uh, prove your uh, worthy on on the market itself. So the challenge always is developing your relationship with with different kind of stream to bring. Uh, off-market deals. So tell me how you're doing it. Like, what is your approach to uh, get off-market deals? 
Yeah. So I think that it's a good question. Um, and it's not always off, off market deals, right? Mm -hmm. So I think there's this idea that only off market deals are the best deals. Uh, so again, even the people that, that we coach that are getting into, um, uh, you know, apartment building investing for the first time is any deal is a good deal. As long as the numbers are right, where it doesn't matter where it comes from now. Yes. If it's on MLS, more eyes have been on it. Very true. Right. But Hey, listen, like in my, if I look at, you know, our portfolio right now, you know, I wouldn't say half, I'd say maybe, um, I don't know, 40% were from MLS. Mm. Right. So if it wasn't for MLS, we, you know, 40% of our, you know, we would have 40% less of our deals. Um, so there's, there's MLS deals, right? So I think don't discount MLS deals, you know, continue to look at if the numbers work, the numbers work. That's the end of the day. At the end of the day, it's, you know, financially, if it makes sense, then buy it. Then there's, then there's off market. So I think there's, well, there's, there's on market and off market. Off market is directly to seller, right? Or haven't kind of, hasn't been, you know, posted anywhere. But then there's like, you know, deals that come from brokers that specialize in multifamily, right? Some consider that off market, some consider it on market, but typically it doesn't hit MLS and it's circulated to those that are, I'd say, active buyers. And so um, you want to create relationships with these brokers. And there's a number of them, you know, in, you know, whichever market you're in, you will find them is find them, you know, introduce yourselves, have them understand what you're looking for, create a relationship with them. The one I would say not caveat, but caution is that when you're working with them and they send you deals, right, and you're not buying or closing, then you're not going to get access to those deals anymore, yes. right? So you want to be known as a closer. You want to be now. It doesn't mean that you're going to buy everything. Uh, you know, if you're not going to buy something, give them feedback as to why you're not buying, right? So they understand, mm. you know, why. Uh, don't be a tire kicker, right? I talk about that a lot, yeah. right? Because there are some people that just want to see deals for the sake of seeing deals. And if that's the case, no problem. Just let people, you know, let, you know, the agent or the broker know that that's what you want to do. And then they can decide whether they share that deal with you or not. Yeah. If you position yourself as you're going to buy and then don't end up buying when you really should be buying that, that could really. Uh, no one want a tire kicker. Yeah, yeah, it's going to taint your brand, your your brand, your personal brand, your reputation, yeah. and you don't want that to happen because it is a small industry. Yeah, it is. So, um, so yeah, on off market. I mean, off market. You know, we've bought a few direct to seller. Um, you know that that takes work, that takes effort, that takes you know consistent marketing. Um, we don't do that a ton, to be honest. Like our our relationships are with the with these brokers. So can you tell me about your largest deal so far? Where is this? Where is the market was? What was the numbers? So with the what? Sorry, can you repeat? The that largest question? deal. What, oh, the what, largest what deal? was the, your largest deal so far? What was the numbers, the market, the criteria? How you got the deal? Uh, MLS or off market? Yeah. So I mean, uh, so large. Okay. So in terms of purchase. Yeah. So I'd say I'd say our highest value project right now is probably a Hamilton project. It's probably worth about seven million. Yeah. Um, to, uh, yeah, seven million. It'll be worth more than that once we add a bunch of units to it. Purchase to date uh, five five point three million in Barry. Although no, we have one under contract right now. It's six point four million in Mississauga. Oh, okay. So that one uh, again, it's you know great project, excellent like great location. Um, How many units? 
18. Okay, 5.3. Uh, 6.4. 6.4, okay. And uh, the cash flow on this one? Oh, no, <laughs> not out of the gate. Um, again, uh, six vacant units, low, in, vacant. Low, low net operating income. Mm -hmm. So again, this like cookie cutter, every deal we get, this is the same thing, right? So again, we're very systematic what we're buying. Um, there, we believe uh, that there's a, a, a very strong uh, opportunity to you know grow the net operating income beyond to what it is. Hmm. Um, the beauty about this deal is that there are six vacancies, maybe seven, right at right at close, which is unbelievable. Like if you're you know in this business, if you can turn if you can turn over units fairly quickly, right? That you know that is a, a big bonus in this type of model. And so the fact that we have six units that we're going to be renovating from day one is pretty significant. And that's what makes this deal really work. Um, and so it will cash flow. Like once, like what it's, you know, this is an 18 to 24 month stabilization process. Hmm. Um, uh, at that point, yeah, it will, this building will cash flow. I think um, we'll, on this deal, you have two challenges. The first one is how you qualified with this vacancy units. And the second one is, um, yeah, uh, the actual, Ontario law with the rent control. So can you highlight how you dealt with the two points? Because, you know, uh, rent control, uh, you have 18 months for turning over or adding value, but you have to have a strategy to basically have access to the units, which is usually keys for key, uh, uh, money for key. Uh, yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. So, okay. So the first question is, how do you qualify with vacant units? So, yeah. Typically, a lender, uh, and I think in all cases, in all deals that we financed, um, can't think of an exception, but even though it's vacant, the lender will kind of give you, uh, will value the building based on what that unit can be rented out for uh, as is. Okay. So, for example, six units will be vacant, uh, but you know, the market rent, let's just say for number's sake, you know, you know, if we were to rent it as is, it'd be, I think those units are like about $1,600 per unit. Yeah. So the lender is going to give you uh, or assume in, in their underwriting that those units can generate 1600. Okay. We know that uh, we're not, we're not going to rent it as is we're going to renovate. It'll take us, you know, probably 30 to 45 days to renovate that unit. And then within within a four month period, we'll have twenty two hundred dollars per month uh, coming out of those units, right? So, um, just to interrupt, uh, sorry to interrupt. This is private lending, not CHMC for the actual. Uh, yeah, so we assumption. don't do we don't do CMHC. It's not really worth doing C in in, in my opinion doing um, using CMHC insured mortgages until you're income, your net operating income has been optimized or close to optimized, meaning it's the max it can be for that building, yeah. then it makes sense. Uh, so we're buying this with, uh, it, it's institutional capital. So it is private institutional capital. Um, the lender understands the strategy. They've financed deals like this before. Uh, they understand, they know us, they know our strategy. So they know that, you know, those vacancies are really not a big risk for them. Mm. 
they understand what we're going to do, the timing that it takes to turn them over, renovate, re-rent them, mm-hmm. right? So it is important, I think, and your question is a good one because it, it brings up the, the point that, you, and we stress this a lot with the people we work with in our coaching, our coaching clients, you have to work with lenders that know the space and that understand the strategy and have done and, and have, you know, financed deals like this before or brokers that have financed deals like this before. Yeah. Cause if they know the strategy, then it's easy for them. They get it right. If you have to convince the lender, you know, about the strategy, there's gonna be a lot of questions. They might not know, not know the end game. It can be done. It just takes a lot, you know, a lot more effort, but I'll, but also you might be paying more for it because they yeah. see, they see risks um, in the process or the business plan because they're not used to it, right? So super important to work with brokers that you know that specializes this. And there's and there's there's a number of them. Just to, for me to understand, so what was the NOI, the existing and the the, the actual uh, predicted after adding the value? Yeah. So so on purchase, we're about. Uh, it's about 190,000 net mm-hmm. operating income yeah, or so, about 90, 92, maybe 192. Uh, in the end, once we're done, so this is a this is a five to seven year project. In the end, we'll be in the, I believe, close to 380, 380. Oh, so we're doubling it. We're yeah. Doubling. Oh, yeah. 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 Typically our, we're, we're typically doubling net operating income. So you're getting them with 7 million and the goal is to have it with 13 or 12 million within five, six years. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it'll, be, it'll, be, it'll be like 11 to 12 million. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, I think uh, what was the upside about this, uh, this one? Is it poorly management or you n- notice any unusual maintenance issue during the actual uh, underwriting? And uh, how was the process for the underwriting for this for this building, especially on the Mississauga one, any issues, environmental reports? Uh, no, no. So from a building perspective, so we've done all, you know, those, uh, the uh, due diligence. So phase one was clean, uh, building inspection report, a couple, couple minor things, you know, older boiler, you know, the windows we know need to be uh, replaced. Uh, the, the benefit of doing those things is that it allows us to qualify for this CMHC MLI select program because it's, uh, making the building more efficient. So nothing, nothing major from a structural standpoint. Um, th- so again, th- this was, oh, and this is typical of buildings that, you know, like this, uh, it's been in, it's, it's a family run building. Hmm. Okay. Uh, it's like, it's, you know, a family member bought it. I don't even, I think maybe 25 years ago, 30 years ago. Right. Hmm. You know, it's been in the family for that long. It's been passed on to uh, the children who are now, you know, in their fifties. They each have families. So I believe it's three of them. They, they, you know, they've operated as a as a side hustle, but not professionally, mm-hmm. right? So, you know, rents aren't maximized. Yeah, they've kept up with maintenance, but you know, the the renovations aren't, you know, at least to our our standard because when we renovate it, we're, we're doing condo quality renovations and you know uh, that's that that's what enables us to get higher rents so you know it was managed as a as a side kind of as a side thing right uh poorly managed maybe i mean definitely not optimized like for sure and so you know even some units don't have actual written leases and stuff like that so again hmm. there's 
like any business, if you, if you can buy a business, not even talking about buildings, but just business in general, something that's, that hasn't been run optimally. And you can see there's an opportunity for you to implement your systems, your management, your process and make it better. And that's how you profit, right? So that gap between where it is today and where it's optimal, where it's at, at the optimal level is what's left on the table for someone that wants to take on that project. So, hmm. so again, um, this one, again, not professionally managed, uh, there's, there's room in the table. In contrast, uh, we purchased a building last year that was professionally managed by a big, by a big REIT. Hmm. And in fact, so we, it, it's, we bought it and it was cash flowing out of the gate at purchase. Hmm. Right. Um, now we've, we've recently improved it, made it even better. Ca it's cash flow, even more cash flowing even more than it was before. Um, but it gives you an idea of like when it's, when it's managed, and not by a professional, you know, uh, REIT, for example, or professional uh, property investor, <laughs> you know, the difference in income is is quite notable. So though, and it, it fits perfectly with our acquisition target. Like it's, mm. it's actually kind of bullseye in terms of what we're, what we, what we look for and buy. Yeah. I, I think also, uh, yeah, as you mentioned, your goal is always to find this poorly management uh, because this is where is the actual pie is like where you actually make money is in the deals when you can uh, bump the actual net operation income to to generate money and do the refinance. It's, this is basically the recent strategy for all of the multifamily investors. So my next question will be um, your growth on even on the partnership. You started with GV regular GVP GV partner, but right now you're leaning more to GPLP, correct? Because you're dealing with security law and uh, qualified investors. So what was like uh, the go what was the the uh, trigger to start dealing with uh, qualified investors? Um, well, I think yeah. I mean, it's the law. It's the law. <laughs> so first of all, I think it's. And, and we, we want to run our business properly, right? Like we want to run it above board. Like we're, you know, we're, there's too much at stake there, you know, our investors put, you know, our confidence in us, you know, we want to do things right. And, and so we've, we've invested to do that. So we have a, hot, a securities lawyer uh, that we've used now uh, that we've hired in addition to, you know, a lawyer to run our transaction, like our real estate transactions, as well as to kind of put together our partnership agreement. So it takes investment and, uh, you know, allows us to sleep at night, ensures that we're doing things properly. Um, and it's, I think if you're, I think if you're in the capital, I mean, our business isn't capital raising, our business is operating uh, apartment buildings. Um, you know, from time to time, we do have projects that, that uh, accredited investors can participate in, but we just want to make sure that we're above board and doing things properly. Uh, and uh, it's, it's a big, it's a big, thing for us. It's a, it's a, it's a, there's a lot of effort that goes into making sure that kind of we're on side and dealing with the right people. Um, and it mitigates the risk for everybody involved. Uh, and I think, uh, I think there's, there's more and more people raising capital out there that are not doing it correctly. And I think it's just not good for the industry as a whole. And yeah. uh, I just don't, I don't want to be, I don't want to be you know, on that side where we're getting in trouble, you know, I'd rather just do, you know, pay the money, um, hire the right people, do things properly. Um, you know, does that mean that there's a lot of people that won't qualify for our deals? Yeah, 100%. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, for sure. Like, yeah. you know, we, we, we are going to narrow the investor pool for sure. Yeah. But at the end of the day, we're doing things right. And I can sleep at night. Yeah, but the alternative is going with regular G, uh, GVs. If you're not going to have... Uh... Yeah, you can. You can. You, you can do that. Um, I just... Yeah, I, I'd be careful with that kind of stuff. Like, there's just too much. There's just too much going on right now about like just capital raising and such. Hmm. Yeah, what, what's the line? So if I okay, so if I ask you the question, so what makes a JV partnership, you know, legitimate? Just the actual agreement, the JV partnership agreement. That's it. Or uh, having a shareholder agreement at corporation. So if you yeah. have a shareholder agreement with with the GV partners and um... so I, I'm not again I'm not a lawyer that's why we hired a securities lawyer for this yeah. stuff the line is very gray yeah. right I, having an agreement does not mean that you're on side right I mean okay. this is <laughs> we can go into this honestly like it's uh I would encourage people just to kind of get proper legal advice yeah um I think this you know this idea that if you have you know a JV kind of makes it okay maybe I don't know you, you know every deal is different but um, I know recently, like look at Epic Alliance. I mean, Epic Alliance is a different thing. There's been other people that, you know, recently, you know, uh, haven't been, you know, haven't been kind of doing it properly and have, you know, gotten in trouble. And I just don't want to, I'd rather just err on the, ca- the side of caution, yeah. invest more, you know, more money in figuring out the right way, being above board. Um, if it means that, you know, some people can't, partner with us then that's you know unfortunately that's you know i think that's just the way we're going to operate yeah for, for the listeners epic line issue is was in saskatchewan i think it was he had like uh, uh 100 million dollars of of uh of uh, properties around uh, saskatchewan and he got broke and it was a mess yeah it was a mess i mean i don't i mean i've only i only know really what, what i've read in the uh from the news sources and, you yeah. know, um, but yeah, it's just, and, and I don't know, I, I don't know if that's a, that was a, I guess it was a securities, I guess, no, I guess part of, part of it was a securities thing, but I think just the, the business operations in general weren't yeah. sound to begin with. So that was probably the major problem, but when there's one issue, there's probably others. And I think that's what happened there, but who does, I'm not, I'm not an expert on it, but I, yeah. just, I just know what I've read. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I think right now we have a good transition also on coaching, but, um, before talking about the coaching program you have is um, what was the influ- influential mentor in your real estate career so far? And do you have a, a still a coach uh, in your career or not? Uh, I, I'm currently not working with the, Oh, actually, sorry. So I'm not working with a business coach. Yeah. I did kind of sign on to a kind of a life coach uh, at the beginning of the year. It's something that I always wanted to do just kind of just more life in general visioning and kind of just time and, you know, not, not even balance, but just kind of life in general. That's super helpful. Uh, right now, don't have a business coach, have used coaches before to train uh, in terms of real estate. Um, right now, you know, we know our plan we're executing. Um, we, we do, uh, you know, myself and my partner, we do provide coaching services for, uh, people coming into apartment buildings, especially, you know, those that are in their first or second deal, uh, even third deal. It's, it's a transition, right? There's, there's a lot of things to know, right? And I think there's a lot of mistakes to be made. We've made mistakes 
And so, you know, working with a coach just speeds up your transition into this space, which, which at first there's complexities, there's nuances, there's differences between, you know, what we're doing and, and residential. And so to help people speed up their journey into multifamily, we, you know, we help people do that one-on-one. We have some online training as well. Um, uh, so yeah, one-on-one or online mm. and, um, you know, it's, it's really focused on people kind of getting into their, their first or even second deal. Cause you know, we've worked with people that where their first deal didn't go so well, they've made mistakes and they don't want to make those mistakes again. And so they work with us And it. And I think the important thing, and there's, you know, there's coaches out there, there's, uh, you know, lots of different people coaching on different things. What I would say for those looking for coaching is one, you know, are they, are they active in the space that they're coaching in? Cause I think there's mm-hmm. a lot of people that are coaching that aren't really active and their main business is coaching. Cool. Um, you know, our main business is buying apartment buildings and operating them. And so that's why we can provide, I think that kind of value to people. Cause we're, we're doing this every day and we're like, especially right now in some of these closings that we're going on, we're on the phone with lenders daily, things are changing daily. And so you don't really know that unless you're in the business, right? Um, You're in it. So, um, you know, that's the value we bring to the table and uh, you know, yeah, happy to happy to work with people and kind of help them along their journey or kind of get started on their journey in apartment investing. Yeah. Finally, I want to ask you about any uh, book grabbed your attention lately on real estate, especially. Huh. Real estate. To be honest, I haven't really picked up a real estate book in probably six months or so. I've been reading some other ones like um, Traction has been a mm. just kind of general business book. Um, uh, Who Not How is amazing. That's really good, I think, for people. Um, you know, Grant Cardone's 10X, I read that, you know, maybe eight months ago. That's good. You know, a little bit of real estate in there. I think real estate stuff, if you're in Canada, I think, you know, real estate investing in Canada, I think, I think that's the title, Don Campbell, always kind of a rock solid book, timeless, meaning that it was written, I think, to probably 20 years ago or so, but still the concepts still apply. And that's just the concept of, you know, some of the things, you know, you know, picking, picking the markets, making sure that, you know, you have population growth, just the, again, it's the fundamentals, the fundamentals of real estate investing. I think that, you know, if if you're, I wouldn't even say, it doesn't even have to be, you don't have to be Canadian for that. I mean, the concepts apply across the board. They're just sound principles for investing. So I would say that that that's one that I read early on. I still refer to it just kind of conceptually, uh, but I, I believe it's called real estate investing in Canada. Anyways, if you search Don Campbell, I mean, he's, you know, he's been his early, early books. Yeah. 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 I think more yep. than 25 years. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, thanks a lot for uh, your time today. And we're really happy to have you today with us. And I hope that we can bring you in again to the show. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you. Thanks, Adam, for you know having me on. Uh, you know, As you can see, I, I love talking about this stuff. I'm passionate about it. Um, it's kind of you know what I live and breathe every day. And uh, <laughs> it's so, yeah, happy to connect with people. You know, they can reach out to me wherever, you know, uh, email uh, mark at peak multifamily or on instagram you know mark baldazar linkedin facebook um website peakmultifamily.ca. We're, we're we're you know we're on all the platforms thanks a lot thanks awesome a lot.